Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Fucking Cancer podcast. We are your support, so let's talk fucking cancer. Welcome back to Let's Talk Fucking Cancer. I'm one of your co-hosts, Leah, and I am here with my fabulous co-host, Colette. Hi, everyone. And also in the studio with us today, we have our fabulous producer, Julia. Hello. (laughs) And joining us today, we are, for our guests, we are so excited um, to introduce you guys to Abby Keller. I know that um, Colette has talked about her a lot and how... Um, working with Abby has really helped her. And so Abby has generously donated or generously (laughs) volunteered uh, her time to join us today and share um, what she does with our listeners. So welcome, Abby. Welcome, Abby. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. We are thrilled to have you. Um, So today we'll be discussing oncology nurse coaching with Abby. This is um, something that Abby has taken on on top of her other job in nursing. And so Abby, tell us a little bit about you and um, how you got into this career. Yeah, um, thanks. My name is Abby Keller. I uh, am an oncology nurse. Uh, I've been an oncology nurse for 10 years. I live in Virginia um, and I am now a holistic cancer coach. Um, I have just, I guess, over the years of being an oncology nurse, uh, it's hard not to notice the gaps in cancer care. And um, I think that it's not just myself who notices them. I think that a lot of healthcare providers like oncology physicians and social workers and other nurses notice these gaps and we feel them. And there's a lot more that we would like to do for um, folks going through the cancer experience. Um, But there is very little time to do so and very little leeway to do so. Um, And so actually you had a um, a, a neuropsychologist on this podcast who said it really well. Uh, He said that when insurance is the payer, insurance gets to dictate what care looks like. And unfortunately um, we're kept on a very strict schedule. Um, Yeah. Oncologists are on a very strict schedule and, um, nurses are spread thin, social workers are spread thin. So I think that, uh, I don't want to say that I'm unique in noticing these gaps. Um, a lot of people on your cancer team also feel them, but, uh, I feel like I was able to, um, take a step back and realize that I have, um, a lot of talents. And I feel like a lot of nurses have, um, other skills that they don't get to utilize as much as they might want to. And, um, so that's why I kind of started, uh, with coaching and so that I could actually build one-on-one relationships with folks over time, um, and really, um, try to, um, help achieve meaningful change. Well, you're not unique in noticing the gaps, but you're unique in what you've done to help fill those gaps. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Um, actually, <laughs> so I got my health and life coach certifications and I was trying to decide like, do I, what kind of health and life coach do I want to be? And originally I was like, I don't know, I could just be like a general health and life coach, but knowing that I have all of this oncology knowledge and oncology background, right. um, it makes me in a unique position to help a unique population of people, um, in a very specialized way. Uh, and I asked my coach, I was like, am I crazy to do this? Because I don't see any other nurse coaches doing this. There are right. many nurse coaches out there, but I don't see anybody doing cancer. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. why is this? Is this a bad idea? <laughs> well, like, it's like, no. the, you know, the first person that decided, you know, hey, instead of hauling a cart, let's see if we can slap some wheels on this baby right. and make it move. So, you know, right. there's always, there has to be one to start it. Yeah. So. And coming from being a cancer patient, I had no idea that 
nurse coaches. I mean, being a nurse initially, I never even knew nurse coaches coaches existed. And then to um, see such a specialized nurse coach, that was huge coming from the cancer world because I had never seen anything like it. And it's been phenomenal in just my, I mean, my recovery, you've seen <laughs> our work together, you know? And so I just think it's amazing that you took this specialized, I'm a nurse, I want to be a nurse the health life coach. And then I'm going to tailor that down to oncology, which is so, so special because you just don't see that out there. Yeah. Yeah. It it's true. Um, I know one other person in the world, not in this country who does this. Wow. There might be more. Um, if any more hear this, (laughs) reach out to me. I'd love to meet you. Yeah. Yeah. You guys can have a community. We need to start a Facebook group for you guys. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I would love to see the world uh, like grow in this. I think that nurse coaching is the future of healthcare because I think that like our healthcare system needs people who have the time to actually teach and walk people through things like just like throwing pamphlets and meds at people is clearly not helping our country be any healthier. (laughs) Right. So tell us a little bit, what kind of, what does your coaching look like? What kind of classes or one-on-one coaching um, does you, do you provide? Yeah. So a lot of my coaching looks like one-on-one with people and it's usually over a period of time. So I try to um, get people to commit to working with me for a couple months um, at a time so that we can really commit to each other energetically and um, work on things that need to be worked on. Cause I think it takes time to really dig into what those things might be. Um, but I do do one-offs with people just to like, see uh, how much I can help them in, okay. in that um, small amount of time. Cause sometimes people just like need someone to talk to briefly right. um, and they don't need a long period of time. Um, but I work with, um, I can work with people who are in initial treatment. So they just got diagnosed and they're going through that initial chemo bio surgery radiation phase. Um, sometimes that looks more like, uh, managing side effects, communication, um, managing like the stress of being in and out of appointments all the time. And, um, like advocating for your needs to your healthcare team. Um, that's what that coaching looks like. I also work with folks in remission, um, like you collect and, um, working with them because I think that that is very overlooked. Um, survivors are very overlooked when it comes to care. You get discharged from your oncologist. They said, see you in a year, see you in six months. They send you back to your PCP. And then people like, don't know what to do with you. They're yeah. like, oh, your hair's back. Like you're done with cancer. Good job. You, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> then you're like, what the fuck just happened to you're me? Right. And you have I to mean, like, we put yourself back together. And we heard that from so many of the, our guests that have come on to share their story. It's they've said that exact thing. It's okay. You're done. Your oncologist isn't seeing you now. And there's just mm-hmm. supposed to be this switch that flips like, oh, you're normal again. Right. right. And then right. the people in their life, you know, probably don't want to bring it up because Mm -hmm. they don't know, is this, you know, is this going to trigger something? Do you want to talk about this? And so it doesn't get discussed and they have nowhere to put the, these feelings and emotions. Yeah. And it's more, it's more comfortable for everybody to be like, yeah, you're done. Let's move on. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's more comfortable for everyone, um, except for the person who's going through it. Um, you know, they might, want to like go back to normal, but I think that, um, deep down, they know that fundamentally something's changed. And when all that adrenaline and gumption that got you through treatment runs out, you're left with like complicated emotions and body changes and a new worldview that you didn't, you might not know what to do with that. Um, and so that's where, uh, a coach can be really helpful to help you process some of that stuff, um, right. especially when other people in your life might not get it. Right. And I have to say, just from experience working with you and looking forward to continuing working with you, I didn't realize how much we had to unpack. Like I knew there's, I knew there were things and I knew there was stuff we had to work on and that I needed to um, really figure out. But 
as we have worked over the last three, almost four months, wow, (laughs) the things that have come up and um, I've been able to work on have been huge. And I, I, I mean, I had been in therapy prior and um, I, gosh, I was in therapy for over a year and I just wasn't getting the same things from therapy that I was getting from you. And so I think it's a huge, it's, it's really huge to be so specialized because yeah. there's such a different understanding of what we're going through versus, um, and I'm not saying therapists are, are in any way bad or not the right choice. They could be perfect. But, yeah. um, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't fine. It didn't find that niche that I really, or that itch that I needed to scratch, you know? And so yeah. then I met you and you are, it's so specialized with you that that was, you know, it, it just yeah. was a huge find. And I have to mention, I first found you by listening to my friend Jen's podcast and you were on her podcast. So the Jen Mall Nurse Connect podcast, if you want to listen to Abby on there, episode 15, she's amazing. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> the podcast over. That's really <laughs> I, I will never forget it because I was like, oh my God, everyone needs to hear this. I found the episode. I put it out on social media and I'm like, everybody listen to episode 15. That's awesome. And Thank I can you. even say, you know, working with Cola, I mean, I've seen the change in her and Aww. she just seems so much lighter. Thanks. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that has done amazing, amazing work. And I can only take like this much credit, you know, oh, like I, so the way that coaching <laughs> works is like, um, I, um, the way that coaching works is like, I try to, um, actually just pull out your own inner wisdom. So like, mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot there that you already knew. Um, right. and that you already wanted to lean into, it just like needed time to get out and, yeah. um, and then like feel safe. Um, and I think that that's why I try to get people to commit to me for a couple months yes. because I think that most people don't realize that like, it's going to take some time. Oh, yeah. oh yes. Um, and then you look back and you're like, oh, wow. Like I feel different yeah. than I did before. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I, think so that, I think that that survivorship is very much an overlooked part of um, cancer care in our healthcare system. And then I also work with folks who are living with cancer long-term. So there is no cure anymore. Um, They're either going to be in chemo forever, or they decide that um, they, you know, or they're going to be in maintenance treatment forever. And they're just like living with cancer as a chronic illness, or they decide to stop treatment. Um, And so however they want to maximize their life experience doing treatment or not doing treatment. Um, I, I support them there. And then I also offer coaching to caregivers because I think that um, caregivers get no support from our healthcare system. And it's kind of sad. Like they might have access to the social worker if the patient is also seeing the social worker, you know, like, but there's no specified care for caregivers and they depending on the patient, they can have like such a huge job, like ostomy care, central line care, med management, you know, like there's so much that you have to learn, um, that like, they're not healthcare professionals. They don't know the learning is super steep. And like the stakes are, feel so high. Cause like, this is your loved one. Like you can't mess it up. That's just a lot of stress and emotional, um, emotional, um, Well, and their feelings probably get kind of poo-pooed because they're like, I'm not the one dealing with cancer. I don't have room to complain. Right. And it's like, no, you're, what you're feeling is still very valid. And you're allowed to have those feelings. Yeah. 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 I think that's great because I think as a caretaker, um, I haven't necessarily had to take long-term care of someone super sick. Um, but we've been there with my nephew who was in a major traumatic, um, accident and got a traumatic brain injury and stuff and watching the caregivers. I mean, they deserve to have a space because they're going to have bad days. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to probably be sad. They're going to, you know, have good days. And so they deserve a space. And you're right. I don't see that out there anywhere for caretakers. I mean, they're support groups, of course, but that deep, that deep work that needs to be done and that support that needs to be given throughout a situation like this. I think that having a nurse coach would be amazing. And it's just something I just still get blown away, even though I've been seeing you myself, that this is something that's available. You know, it's really fantastic. 
So when you are treating, so how do you approach your practice differently when you are um, working with either an active cancer patient or a survivor versus a caretaker? Yeah, I actually don't approach it any differently. (laughs) Um, My coaching is very client driven. So I show up uh, for whatever the client brings that day. And so like sometimes like the times that I've tried to prepare for a session and I'm like, oh, we're going to do this exercise. Like that is like never what we talk about. <laughs> like, there's always something else that comes up yeah. that needs to be addressed. And so I yeah. think that doing that exploration and, and holding space for whatever's going to come up that day, I think is right. the, I think is a powerful way to do coaching. I don't think that everybody does coaching that way and that is effective for them. But I find that for me, like, there's so many complex emotions that need to be expressed and explored. And, and sometimes like there just can't be pressure on those to like, okay, we're going to work on grief today because like right. sometimes like maybe you had a really good week and that's like not where you're at. Um, right. So I think that um, being open to whatever's coming. So like for yeah. my folks in active treatment, like maybe they want to talk about chemo or maybe they want to talk about fear. Maybe they want to talk about scanxiety. Maybe they want to talk about, um, you know, like the fear of like financial worry or something like that. Um, versus like a survivor, you know, might want to talk about a lot of those things too. Um, or I'm feeling like long-term side effects from my treatment. Like I'm having, um, you know, distress over, um, my cognitive symptoms or my, Um, my, a lot of, I mean, a lot of folks have long-term changes to their body. Like they have long-term arthritis, um, sexual dysfunction is actually aside from fatigue. It's one of the most common, um, long-term side effects of cancer and it's, and not just for like reproductive cancers, like prostate or like pelvic cancers, but, um, for all cancer. Wow. Um, And we don't talk about that. No, Like you don't hear people talk about that ever when it comes to cancer care and it can really, um, impact quality of life. So just having a place where you can put whatever it is that comes up, um, is really special. Yeah. I noticed there have been days where, um, my, my personal coaching where a lot of it's cancer heavy, you know, we'll talk Mm -hmm. a lot about a cancer topic or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I notice there's days where it's not what comes up and I'm dealing with something else or even, um, grief of a loved one where Mm -hmm. when I first started seeing you, I was, did not know how to process grief (laughs) at all. And that, that wasn't coming from necessarily my cancer journey it was something else inside and we've been able to work through that since then and seen some great changes. So I think it's great because you hold the space open for whatever comes up. And once in a while, it doesn't have anything to do with cancer. And it's like, wow, wait a minute. We didn't even talk about cancer, but I got so much out of this, you know? So it's really awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nurses are holistic providers. So I call myself a holistic coach because um, not because I'm an acupuncturist or an herbalist, but because I, I see everyone as a whole person. That's what we're right. trained to do as nurses. And like right. every part of you is just as important as the other parts. So like right. you are not your cancer. You are not just a cancer survivor. You are a full person. You're a parent. You're a a daughter. You're a sister. You're a friend. You are a creative. You're an individual. You're an empath. Like there's so many things yeah. about you that make you, you. Um, and like your illness or lack thereof is only one small part of that. Right. So I think coaching is a cool place that like, um, yeah, I'm an oncology nurse, but I'm a health and life coach. So whatever comes up is fair game. Right. That's awesome. Do you find some common themes, um, or topics that come up in your coaching, whether it's active, you know, long-term treatment, um, caretaker do you you know like is there certain topics like fear or grief that tend to come up the most yeah 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 um so I would say guilt grief and fear I call that like the survivorship triad I see that a lot with survivors um and also caregivers they have their own guilt grief and fear um and uh it looks different 
maybe for those two different groups, but there's a lot of overlap. Right. Um, but I think even those, you know, facing active treatment or long-term treatment, those, those themes come up as well. Sure. Um, cause I think that grief, grief is something that we don't really do well in our culture. Um, we don't know what to do with it. And, a lot of times we talk about grief as like it only pertains to a death right. um, where that is not true. Um, there are lots of intangible losses, um, loss of time, loss of an expectation, loss of normalcy, loss of a dream, loss of what you thought you knew, loss right. of um, confidence in your future, loss. Yeah. Uh, like there are lots of losses. So those all deserve the chance to be appreciated and grieved. Um, and so I think that, you know, those things come up. I think communication issues come up a lot, um, communicating to the world, what you're going through to your friends, to your family. I think that that's really hard because people don't get it. Um, also like dealing with people who are nosy or give unsolicited advice, like (laughs) those kind of frustrating, um, things that you might find yourself, uh, those situations that you might find yourself in um, is really annoying. Um, I think that, um, like if you're grieving something that other people might not expect you to grieve, like, um, uh, that's called disenfranchised grief. So your grief is not culturally recognized as something to be grieved. So like, if you're a cancer survivor, you might not, um, feel like you're allowed to grieve because other people don't survive and you did. And also like there are other people out there who think that too, like you're supposed to be grateful. You're not supposed to be grieving. And so that like communicating what you need to others around you, it can be a really um, good thing to work on with a coach because um, you want to obviously maintain that relationship, but also protect yourself and protect like your your feelings. Um, yeah. yeah. Advocacy is another big one, um, in, in coaching. So like, I think that with me being an oncology nurse, I can help people come up with questions for their healthcare provider, um, to get what they need. So like, if you're not sure what you can ask for, or you're not sure, like, is what I'm experiencing normal? Right. Should I even bring it up? I don't feel like there's time to bring it up. Um, like I can help come up with ways that you feel comfortable asking for what you need and getting access to services that you might not know are there. So like there are lots of parts of the healthcare system that, um, are available to you that you sometimes have to ask for, which kind of stinks because like you shouldn't have to know that. Yeah. Yeah. If it's available, Um, why wouldn't you offer it to, they don't. Yeah. 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 Right. And, and so like, helping, um, people, um, talk to their oncology team. Cause I feel like the intent is good, but sometimes like with time you're busy, you're, you know, you're, you're turning patients out. You're not right. maybe giving that patient like everything that they need in that yeah. moment, which is a lot of education, like interpreting medical jargon, yeah. telling you what your labs mean, telling you like, what to do and what not to do when you go home, you know, like all of these different things that like, just you don't have time to talk about in the doctor's office. Um, that's where like an oncology nurse on your team, who's just like focused on you can actually be really helpful. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I was remembering sitting in infusion and every time I went, they would come around and put your labs on your, your bedside table. They would just slap them down and walk away. And it's like, well, we knew what they were because we were nurses, but I was like, what about everybody else? You're not even taking two seconds to explain, are these good? Are these bad? What do they mean? Why are you giving me a copy? What am I, you know, like, and so we would just every time get a paper slapped in front of us and then walk on and we're like, whoa, hold on, wait, come back, help. (laughs) Especially with such a complex disease state um, with so many variables and everybody's experience is so different. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's truly mind boggling that there's not more empathy and compassion that patients can get while they're in treatment or, you know, yeah. they're, they, you know, they'll have anxiety about something and then show up to their appointment and be like, okay, I'm going to talk to my doctor about this. They wait for mm-hmm. their appointment because, you know, they don't want to bother them. And then right. 
those things don't get addressed during the appointment. Right. Um, right. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's frustrating. Yeah. It's, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's super frustrating, but I feel like we're starting to just like with finding you and talking to Dr. Bridge, Dr. Bridgman and stuff like that, we're starting to break through and maybe open people's eyes and avenues a little bit more, you know? So I yeah. hope, I hope we're going in the right direction. I think we are. <laughs> I think so. I think that yeah. awareness is so needed to yeah. what the real experience is. And um, yeah, that's one of my, my missions too, is to just raise awareness of like what the needs are. Yeah. Um, a couple other common themes that I just want to throw in. Um, scanxiety, that's a huge one. Yes. Huge one. Because we uh, there is so much trauma around scans and yeah. scanxiety is a very normal response to a traumatic event. So that's a big one, um, how to work through that, how to like make it a little bit less miserable. Um, I see a lot of like medical burnout and I don't mean like healthcare providers burning out. I mean like people being so tired of having so many appointments, they get tired of managing their health. They're always in appointments. They're always getting new meds. They're always adjusting, always like, Oh, I have to eat healthy. I have to do that. I have to like, like they have a laundry list of things they have to do for their health and they get burned out. Right. Um, So working through some of that. um, Yeah. yeah, Those are kind of the big ones. We had a, um, Sean on a couple episodes back for a spotlight. And he very much said the same thing where he, at the end of treatment, just burnt out. And he was burnt out mm-hmm. of going to the doctors doing the things and he just stopped. So he yeah. he set a goal for us that he was going to go get his scan and his checkup done. But he said he just hadn't been taking care of himself recently because he was so burnt out. And so yeah. that is, and I, I totally, totally understand that, how that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that like working with um, somebody who can, uh, validate that experience and yeah. also kind of re-inspire you that like yes. you're worth it and how to do it more on your terms in the way that feels good to you. Like, like how that. does investing in you feel the best? Right. And um, instead of like somebody telling you that you need to do this for your health. Right. Um, I don't, I don't give a lot of instructions. I give a lot of suggestions and then yeah. we get to experiment and try together what feels best. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a little fashion show. We like try on everything and then (laughs) see what you like. Well, I love that you're working with people to kind of teach them how like self-love. Yeah. Um, Because yes, doing what feels best for you is, you know, is a form of self-love. And if people haven't ever, you know, delved into that prior to their diagnosis, this is a whole new world for them. So they're dealing with that internal struggle on top of their medical struggle. Yeah, I think um, there's a book about uh, like the five regrets of the dying. And the like, number one is like, I wish I had lived a life true to myself. And so like, what would it mean to live a life that's true to yourself? And um, that's, I think like my main mission of like helping people live lives that feel best, like to love themselves, love their lives, with or without cancer. I think that you can do it with or without an illness. And, um, and it, it's very unique to the person and you get to decide yeah. what, um, what it looks like. Um, but choosing to love yourself and allowing yourself to have big feelings, allowing yourself to have these, um, hard experiences instead of hiding from them or, um, shutting them down or stuffing them in, um, I think that that's a huge first step in just like allowing you to be you. Yeah. Well, and like, I mean, two, two things that we are kind of conditioned not to experience are big emotions and mm-hmm. hard things, you know, and yeah. nope, we, we, we camp it down. We keep it bottled mm-hmm. in. And if it's mm-hmm. hard, we do whatever we need to do to get out of the uncomfort yeah. and away mm-hmm. from it. So, um, yeah, that, but there are things that, yes, your life is so much better and your soul feels so much lighter when you learn how to navigate those yeah. big emotions and yeah. hard situations. It's yeah. funny because that's, those two words are something that remind me of Abby. <laughs> she says, we're, that's, we're going to work on the hard things. We're going to, yeah. these 
and there's big, exciting accomplishments. And then there's the hard things and we learn to navigate them all. Yeah. 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 And like, I think that um, there's actually a lot of research out there that shows that um, emotions are scarier and they feel bigger um, when you don't allow yourself to express them or feel them. So like if you're constantly hiding from something, it's going to have more control over your life because you're always trying to avoid that thing. Um, versus just like feeling it and getting it over with, well, not getting it over with, but like, like learning how to feel those things and learning how to be okay. Um, it, it, it makes it less powerful, you know? I think that's a big thing that I've learned with you too, is, um, facing the hard things and one of them with loss. And so I, I pushed it down for so long. And then when I started allowing myself to feel it a little bit more and, um, just move through my days with it and be Mm -hmm. able to be, be okay with it, you know, and just kind of, I, I was learning to work through it, but I have dealt with this recent loss in a whole different way. Like from yeah. one year to the next year, I have dealt with two different losses in two completely different ways. And I have to credit you for helping me get there because we worked on the hard things and I'm learning to sit with it and I'm learning to accept it. And I don't like it, no. <laughs> but you know, it's getting to that point. I didn't even see that as something I didn't even, I don't even think I brought up this loss and this grief until late in our, our sessions, I didn't realize it was something I needed to work on. And then it came out and it's like, whoa, <laughs> because we're so used to disenfranchising our grief yes. that yeah. we don't address it because we shouldn't be feeling that way. Yeah. Somebody yeah. else has it so much worse yeah. that yeah. we just need to get over it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, it's betraying yourself yeah. and betraying mm-hmm. your heart because What's the saying? Like grief is just misplaced love. Yeah. Or, you know, mm-hmm. it's like love with nowhere to go. Yeah. 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 And we all have it in some form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was a, I was a terrified of mine because I, I thought it was going to be too big to deal mm-hmm. with. And so when I started facing it little bits at a time and it was just, it happened so so smoothly and so gently that I didn't even realize it was happening. And then as I'm dealing with it, we experience another great loss. And I have, I'm, I have to say, I'm proud of how I've dealt with it this time around yeah. <laughs> than I did last year, you know, you, so, sh- you should be proud. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You did some work. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. But it's, you um, know, it's awesome to have a place to go and to work through that instead of, not really hitting it head on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to say on comparative suffering, um, like when, when we say that somebody else has it worse, I should just be grateful. I'm too blessed to be stressed, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think, um, Brene Brown does a really good job on talking about comparative suffering. And she talks about like, love is the last thing that we need to ration in this world. Mm. And when you, um, withhold compassion for someone, um, including yourself, because somebody else has it worse. You're not actually helping anything. You're not helping anybody. So like if I, you know, we did this a lot during the pandemic. Um, so like when I was working as a nurse, I was in the hospital and my family was on lockdown. So like I couldn't visit my family for a long time because I didn't want to expose them. And I was, you know, kind of lonely. I I got homesick. I missed them. I didn't see them for months and months. And, um, but like literally people are dying in the hospital. And so like, I could say like, well, at least they're not dead. Like at least they're over there like alive, but like, I'm not actually helping those people who are dying by not letting myself love myself. Yeah. So having compassion, like it's good to have perspective of like, sure, like things could be worse, but you're not actually helping anybody who has it worse by like treating yourself kind of like crap. (laughs) That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I've never thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so like when survivors, you know, are like, Oh, I'm not, I'm I shouldn't grieve because other people, you know, didn't make it. And I did, you're not helping those people who didn't make it. You're not helping their loved ones. You're not helping anybody. You're just making yourself miserable. So like, why not give yourself that self-compassion? 
Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any, um, like easy, none of this is easy. So, (laughs) but some like, um, quick tips or any tools on just working with your grief and, you know, feeling your grief, living in your grief. I have some thoughts. I don't know if they're tips, but I have some thoughts to keep in mind. I guess the tip is to keep this in mind. Grief is not something that you get through. It's not something that you get over. You learn to live with it. It's love. Oh, that, oh, that hits like, oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to have to sit with with that. (laughs) Yeah. Which kind of sucks, right? Like you're just like, oh, there are stages. I'm going to crush grief. I'm just going (laughs) to level up until I got to acceptance. And then like, it's going to be over. And that's actually not true. Um, There aren't levels. Um, and there's no like passing grade. It's just like you learn to live with it. Um, so this is a great quote. I actually don't, I don't know if it's David Kessler, but, um, it's a, um, he, he calls the central process of grieving is the attempt to reaffirm or reconstruct a world of meaning that has been challenged by loss. So it's trying to reconstruct the world without that person in it, um, or without whatever the loss was, um, And sometimes that's really hard and, um, it's okay if it takes, I mean, it's going to take forever. It it's okay. And sometimes you'll notice that you have good days and bad days and that is totally fine. Um, there's, I think that, um, one thing that's really powerful and that everybody needs, no matter what they no matter what they grieve, this is David Kessler, but he says each person's grief is as unique as their fingerprint. And what everyone has in common is that no matter how they grieve, they share a need for that grief to be witnessed. So sharing your grief, explaining it to people that are safe, um, who can see you and witness you just in the magnitude of that loss, not trying to make it better, not trying to fix it, but just like holding space, like, yeah, that sucks. So finding your safe people, that's a tip. Um, uh, There's another, there's a theory of, um, a grief theory called continued bonding, uh, continued bonds, which basically is um, like that relationship still continues. So if you've lost somebody, that relationship is still alive, right? That one person is not able to escape anymore, but it doesn't mean that you're not like still mother and daughter. It's not, you're not friends anymore. Um, that person might not be able to show you that they love you, but they still love you. So, um, having t- uh, a continued relationship, inviting them into your life, inviting them into events, talking to them, writing them letters. Sometimes that can be really healing, um, creating rituals around, um, around like maybe times when you would think of them, um, making that a little bit special by, um, bringing, bringing in the memory of that person and inviting them to, to be there with you. So, um, I think that that, uh, can be really powerful, um, when you're, um, when you're feeling lost. Um, one, there's a book, uh, called, uh, grief is love by Marissa Renee Lee. And I'm paraphrasing here, but she says like, when she misses her mom the most, she lost her mom to breast cancer. And she says, when I'm missing my mom the most, and all I want to do is like put my head in her lap. I think of like, what it is that I want. What do I, what am I seeking from her in that moment? Is it comfort? Is it connection? Is it rest? And then she like, lets that guide her so that she can like give herself that thing in a different way. Like, okay, her mom's not there to give it to her, but like, she can still get that thing. So, um, allowing your, your grief and, and, um, like still allowing yourself to fill those needs in other ways. Does that make sense? It does. It does. does. I think that's so important, Abby. Sorry. I'm just here off screen (laughs) Yeah, Um, hi. because I think when we lose someone and we're grieving them, it, I think we make ourselves believe that we can never have that thing from them again. Yes. Like I was just experiencing this and I was like, I'll never Mm -hmm. hear these words again, or I'll never feel this thing again. And Mm -hmm. I think that's so that's taking it a step further to, it's like that critical thinking of, okay, but what am I needing in this moment? What Mm -hmm. am I seeking? And how can I still get that? Yeah. Instead of saying like, I will never have that again. Yeah. Right. And, and that's not to say that like, 
that's a band-aid of like, okay, well, I just need to give myself these other things and like kind of distract myself from the loss. Like it's okay to feel that loss of like, I really want to hear my mom say this thing or whoever it is. But um, like, yeah, exactly, Julia. Like knowing that those things are still available to you in this world. Yeah. 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 Sorry, you have Leah. I know, like, sorry. We're just, yeah. (laughs) Having a moment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's okay. You're allowed. <laughs> Thank you. I would say if you're gonna cry in front of anyone, yeah. um, girl. <laughs> That's my favorite thing to say is you're allowed. I yeah. say it to everybody. I say yeah, it to myself. It makes, it makes me feel so good. I'll be like, Thank you, Abby. <laughs> yeah, it's unneeded permission because like you don't need me to tell you that you're allowed, but yeah. I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, just you know, there's so much fear of judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. Finding those safe people and those safe places to show your grief. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So in, in doing this type of work and these heavy, hard topics that you're dealing with on a daily basis with your clients, do you ever find yourself, you know, having compassion fatigue or, you know, needing your own break or, you know, having to coach yourself or, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, I have not experienced compassion fatigue yet, um, in this work. Um, but I, I do try, like, I do a lot of preventative work. I, I do need a lot of breaks and I, um, I'm an introvert. I need a lot of alone time. I need a lot of exercise. I need, um, I have an, my own coach, you know, I have my own support system. That yeah, I say, who coaches the coach? <laughs> <laughs> Another nurse coach. She's awesome. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I have, um, you know, like I've been in therapy before I, I have nurses that I talk to. I have, um, my partner that I talk to, I have, uh, my sisters, you know, like finding those safe people that, um, you know, I don't talk to them maybe about specifics, but just like, oh, I had a bad day or. I don't know, um, you know, just doing life with people and feeling seen by those people, I think is really important for us to build in, um, building in your own support. So I have a lot of that. I actually have like a lot of limits or like boundaries that I know for myself. Like I have to limit, um, how much sad TV I watch, um, or even like violent TV. Like I can't, I can't do it. Um, I am really protective of my sleep. Like I do not stay up late for you. <laughs> Good. I, I, you know, like if I have a work day, like if I have to be at the hospital, I have to wake up super early and sure. like, I do not go out the night before. Like I, yeah, I have to be in bed, um, like no later than nine. It just, yeah. <laughs> and so I think like having those limits, knowing what I need, like, I don't think that self-care necessarily looks like bubble baths. Like sometimes it looks like strict bedtimes and, knowing that like, I need 10 minutes in the morning to do my meditation. I need an hour uh, to work out. I need um, like somebody to talk to, or I need space to talk to no one. Like I need to put on a book and think of like, not this, like go to somewhere else. Um, So I think that building in those mental and emotional breaks are super important. Um, But honestly, like, I think that this work, this coaching work that I've started um, has done a lot um, for me because bedside nursing, I think is really hard. Um, and you feel very limited in the amount of change that you can affect, um, working at the bedside. And so as much as I love being at the bedside, I think that coaching kind of invigorates me a little bit more like, yeah, we, we hold space for heavy things, but it's so good and it's so beautiful and it has a lot of meaning for me. And I really see it as, a privilege. So, um, I, I think that, yeah, I need to do a lot of things to take care of myself, but I, I also feel very energized by the work that I do. I love that. Awesome. I think that's so great. It's, I just, I look at you and Dr. Bridgman in the same light. You both are these medical professionals who took what you're seeing happening in your medical worlds and did something about it and created mm-hmm. something outside of that to give even more. I mean, that's just crazy. That's amazing. Like you guys are so awesome. I just love this. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. And the dedication to have the idea, but then to 
foster that idea into actuality and yeah. into, you know, the commitment to, you know, cause not only are people committing to you, but you're also committing to them on top of everything else that you have going on in your life. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's something that's really special. Like, I feel like that coaching relationship is really special. Um, and I like really like it when my clients reach out to me or like, I just like text them like, Hey, thinking about you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like cheering <laughs> you on from over here in Virginia. Yeah. But I think that I, I had a lot of support in, in starting this, um, because I didn't know what to do. Like I had nurse coaches before me, you know, kind of forged this way. And, um, I think I went through a lot of, um, you know, you go through a lot of doubts when you're doing sure. a new thing and especially like a thing that you don't see a lot of other people doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as a person, um, I'm a relatively, you know, private person. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't somebody who ever posted on social media before. Right. And now it's like, I'm posting all the time and like talking <laughs> about big feelings and, you know, trying to be really vulnerable with people. And, um, that's not something that maybe I expected, but, uh, it's been really good. And, uh, but I've had a lot of guidance too. So I don't want you to think that like, I did it all by myself. Cause I definitely <laughs> did it. <laughs> no, I think it's just amazing because you, you're doing this work and you're, you're yourself growing and you're putting out so much for those of us out here. I just, I like have so much love and respect for you and what you're doing. I think it's just amazing. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. I'm always learning. I'm always reading books. Um, I'm always, uh, I'm, I'm reading a book right now, radical compassion and learning rain, um, which is like a really cool, uh, mindfulness tool. And so like, I'm always trying to learn, I'm listening to lots of cancer podcasts to yeah. like learn more <laughs> about what the experiences are and right. like, what people are dealing with. And, and I think that being, um, being open to learning more to help mm -hmm. people. Like I, I know I don't have all the answers, but I'm like trying to find more and more. Yeah. Um, and I'm growing more and more to, to like, try to find more tools um, to help folks. That's great. So what are some tools that you use? Um, I know that you mentioned your meditation mm -hmm. um, exercise. What are some other tools that you use um, to help with your mental health or yeah. that you would advise other people to try for their yeah. mental health. Yeah. Um, so my mental health has been like a long journey. <laughs> so, um, I can look back in, you know, times of my young life where like I was not in a healthy place. And so a lot of these, um, like disciplines and tools have come with time and experimentation. And like, sometimes then I get, like complacent and I don't do them. And then I'm like, Oh, I should really do that thing. So like, then I do it and then I feel better. You know, so yeah. I just mm -hmm. want to say that all of this is a process. Um, I think journaling has been one of the things that has helped oh. me the most over the years process my own, um, my own lack of self-love, um, and my own like self-judgment. Um, I think that without journaling, like I would have gotten nowhere. I think just having wow. a page where I could put all my thoughts down, was so powerful. So I think that people underestimate like pen and paper on just like getting it down because mm -hmm. I think that you can go so much farther than I just could like spinning in my brain of yeah. like, if I just get it out. Um, and you go really cool places when you journal, like yeah. I did not know how long has that been in there. I did not know that that was in there. <laughs> um, right. So, so, like things come out that you might not expect. Um, so journaling has been a big one. Exercise is a big one. I have my own health uh, issues that I manage and exercise is super important for that. Um, and then it's also just a big stress reliever and I feel so good when I do it. I have lots of different ways that I like to exercise. So um, kind of mixing it up and always keeping it fun. Um, I have a lot of hobbies, uh, just like little points of joy in my day. I think that building those in are really important. Um, I. I do like meditation. It's not something that I'm, um, I've done for a long time. Uh, I, I feel like I've just really developed it in the last few years. Um, but that's been really powerful and, um, eating, eating yeah. is a big one. Yeah. Eating is so important for 
your mental health. I think that we really underestimate that. Um, there's actually your vagus nerve is very connected to your microbiome. So, um, your, this is just a little plug to eat more probiotic foods, but, um, (laughs) I, I, uh, went to a seminar and actually got to talk to, um, I actually had coffee with the neuroscientist who studies this, but the gut brain connection of like Mm -hmm. what you eat really affects your cognition and your, um, the way that you think and the way that you feel. And I was like, oh man, you know, because sometimes (laughs) you just want to eat some Doritos. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, it really does impact um, how I feel and how I can function. And so um, I think that in my young life, I had a lot of issues around eating because of like fear that like, oh, this thing's unhealthy. I can't eat this thing. Okay. Um, And I think that that is something actually that folks with cancer have sometimes, uh, of like, I'm not allowed to eat this thing. This thing is no longer, um, like good for me. And I, I like, and then there's a lot of stress and fear around it, which, um, doesn't actually help. Uh, like stress is also inflammation. So like, it's okay. (laughs) If you like need to eat a cookie every once in a while, like that's fine. It's probably better than like stressing that. Like I can never have sugar ever. Yes. That's just not true. And Oh, that um, caused me to have, I mean, I already have disordered eating, but, yeah. um, the thought that something that I consumed or that I put in yeah. my body was going to then cause me to have cancer yes. and yeah. I would have no one to blame, but myself yep. or yeah. my yeah. lack of self-control or, um, yeah, that I like, I did it mm-hmm. to myself and that yeah. there was something mm-hmm. that I could have done differently to prevent this. Like, yeah. There that is was, so that was a fun time. <laughs> yeah, there is so much shame and blame around cancer yeah. and or just illness in general, really. Right. But especially, um, you know, like you see this a lot with um with like smoking and lung cancer, and like you oh, could yeah. smoke and not get lung cancer, you can smoke and get lung cancer. You can right. like um you cannot smoke and get but like the same thing goes for like eating. So like yeah. I know vegans who got cancer. You can literally do all the right things and still get cancer. So I always tell people like cancer is not your fault. Sorry. It's it's not your fault. Right. Like, sure. Are there ways that we can support our bodies to help them like optimize their functioning and like make you feel great? Yes. But like, is it worth being super strict on yourself and like shaming yourself into, um, into certain behaviors? No, I don't, I don't think that that's worth it. Um, and I think that uh, you can't hate yourself into healing. So um, I like that. You, yeah. You, um, I think that like, if you want to change your eating, it should come not from a place of fear, um, but from like a place of empowerment. And like, I want to take care of myself because yeah. I like it and I love myself. Not like, oh my gosh, if I eat this thing, I'm definitely going to get cancer. Right. You know? Right. Right. Yeah, that's great advice. That it, just resonates really it hard. Does. It really does. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. and I feel that. Like I can sympathize with that because I, you know, um, like I have my own health stuff, and like I know that like food, you know, I was afraid of certain foods, yeah. and then um, that like caused me to have a lot of stress, and then I just like wouldn't eat, which actually yes. is not actually good for you yeah. <laughs> either. Yeah. Um, and so then I would get headaches, and I would feel so tired, and yeah, all of these things that are not helpful. Um, but like when I actually allow myself to, okay, I don't have any healthy food in the fridge right now. So like what's in the pan, like, what can I eat? I still need to eat. So remembering that, um, there's no food that's off limits and sometimes your body just needs to be fed and nourished and that's okay. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, another podcast that I was listening to, um, quite some time ago, they were talking about like addictions and how mm-hmm. food addictions is actually one of is really challenging because your body needs food to fuel yeah. itself. Yeah. Where it's yeah. like, you know, you can't just cut adapt. it out. You can't go so yeah, you're not. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. You, you know, you're not going to, if you don't drink alcohol for two weeks, you're not going to die. Right. If you don't eat for two weeks, yeah. you could yeah. die. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that struggle is, um, is real. (laughs) Yeah. There's actually, there's so much weight stigma in our healthcare system as well, that I'm really trying to bring more awareness to and, 
um, fight against uh, in in this work. It's hard thing to talk about because it's controversial, but like, I don't know right. if it is actually, but like th- people are people and people come in different sizes. And I think you can be healthy at every weight. Yeah, and I think that that like, there are people out there that would disagree, but I think that uh, people don't get access to care um, that they need because they're told to lose weight first. And I think yep. that that is real Absolutely. I shared that on one of our early episodes that my grandmother, you know, by the time she was diagnosed with cancer, she was stage four because Mm -hmm. nobody took her concerns seriously because she was overweight. And she was, she was just told you'd feel better if you just lost weight. Yeah. 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 There was a a viral story uh, about a woman who um, had protein in her urine, I guess, after her pregnancy and they told her to lose weight and she had multiple myeloma and oh. it was like oh underdiagnosed for a really long time. Oh. And so like, like losing weight, I mean, you're, yeah, yeah. I think it's um, really it's too wrong. easy. It's too easy of a shift the blame yeah. that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we live in a very fat phobic society, yeah. you know, like yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. somebody like Lizzo who is vegan, yeah. who works mm-hmm. out. I mean, I have seen her perform live yes. what she mm-hmm. does for hours and she's never winded. And people mm-hmm. say she is promoting obesity. It's like, right. she's a very healthy, healthy. person yeah. in her body. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I believe that. And, um, I, I get real cringy when it comes to like how much cancer, um, like propaganda you see out there about like maintain a healthy weight and like stuff like that. And yeah. it's like, all right, well, what is that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause what's a healthy weight? The BMI is right. bullshit. Yeah. It's a bunch oh, of made yeah, up numbers. That's totally made up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a really good podcast called maintenance phase. And I think that they I do, love maintenance. Yeah. Maintenance phase is awesome. <laughs> oh my but God. They yes. do a really good job of like debunking some of that stuff that we just accept as normal. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to have to listen to that. Oh my God. It's so good. My doctor told me to listen to it and I'm oh, good. obsessed. Wow. I love that there's a doctor out there who's like, yeah, listen. Well, I just love, well, I yeah. love my doctor. So, um, I, yeah, that's, I'm that's very awesome. fortunate and I, and I, recognize the privilege that I have, um, in yeah. being able to have him. Um, so he, I didn't have to go concierge because mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to follow, you know, I'm not going to have a big system telling me how to right. treat my, um, yeah. but I, I get time with him. He is smart. Mm. He like, I just, he's awesome. And so we were talking about weight and he was, he, I was like, what, you know, what should I, he's like, eat real food. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Like just eat real food, move your body. Um, Mm. And I was telling him, you know, I've got a lot of mental blocks and stuff. And so he suggested maintenance phase. That's great. Mm. Yeah. I love that. He's he's amazing. I I cannot say enough good things about him. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that like, um, you know, as a healthcare professional, we're always taught these things. Like we were taught the BMI, we're taught healthy weight, we're taught this and that. We're taught like obesity causes every single illness. And like, it's just, I don't know. Um, I think that there's a lot of work that we all need to do to um, undo our biases. And yes. um, I mean, a, a, around race, around size, around, you know, uh, um, sexual class. orientation. Yeah, class. Absolutely. Um, and so I think that there's um, just so much work that we all need to do that um, unfortunately it does affect people's medical care. It does. It has been so awesome to have you on today, Abby. I just, you know, I just love you. (laughs) Thanks. And I'm so glad that I've been able to get to know you over the last couple of weeks. And um, I mean, not that I ever doubted Colette (laughs) endorsement of you, but getting to just speak with you and and hear what you're all about. And I just, I really appreciate what you're doing. So how can people find you? If they were, um, if they want to work with you. Yeah, they can find me. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, I have a website. It's abbykellercoaching.com. Um, A-B-B-I, A-B-B-Y. It's A-B-B-Y. K-E-L-L-E-R coaching.com. Um, I'm Abby K coaching on Instagram and just Abby Keller on Facebook, but there's probably a million of us. So, um, I will put and, your links in our show notes. So okay. anyone who's listening can go to our show notes and just click right on it and find you. 
Good. Uh, thank you guys so much. This has been so thank special. I, um, I've really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed today. Yeah. Good. You're amazing. You. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much. And we possibly would maybe get to have you back on again someday. Sure. I have Yay. so many things that I'm very passionate about talking about. So we can, awesome. <laughs> we can dive into it. <laughs> right. Well, thank you for everything, Abby and listeners. We will see you next week with our tips and tricks. All right. All right. See you then. We, we are, are your support. support. Thank, thank you for, for talking, talking cancer. cancer.